1898, H.G. Wells penned the words to his classic, The War of the Worlds, a book that would be written unlike any book of his day. In his day, books were written about one country waging war about a, against another, but never had anybody taken a pen to paper to write about alien invaders coming, seeking the destruction of the world as a whole. And that's exactly what he wrote about. He wrote about alien invaders coming and seeking to destroy the very planet that we lived in. A kingdom unseen and unknown to us, waging war at the very existence of who we were and are. In the 1930s, this book would come to even greater prominence because it would have an adaptation that would be done over the radio. It would start out with what people thought was a real news report. A report of alien invaders. Tens of thousands of people phoned into their village hall and police stations wanting to know what to do when the invaders came to their cities. They were scared to death. No doubt this movie became a classic in 1953 when it was brought to the big screen as the War of the Worlds and then again in 2005 starring Tom Cruise. You see, there's something about knowing that we are at war with a kingdom that is unseen. Well, this morning we kick off, whether you're here in the room or online with us, we kick off a series entitled Daniel, Kingdoms, Chaos, and the Sovereignty of God. And in it, we are going to learn about two kingdoms that are waging war against one another. A kingdom, not of this world, that seeks the destruction of the kingdom of God. And we're going to see that play out in the life and times of Daniel. We're going to see how this alien kingdom, if you will, seeks to destroy God's purposes and plans for his people. And in doing so, to bring the people of God into captivity. The question is, how ought we live and respond as those a part of the kingdom of God, how are we to respond to this kingdom that will be named Babylon here in the study of Daniel? How are we to respond when the kingdom of Babylon seems to be winning at every place and step? What we're going to learn is that the kingdom of God is victorious. The kingdom of God will conquer the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of evil, and the kingdom of man. Now, we are given in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, a timestamp of when all of this takes place. We are told it takes place in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Let's stop there. So if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is in the middle of the Old Testament, and, and for some maybe that aren't as well versed in the Bible, you may wonder where in the world does this fall? I'm going to ask the guys to put up a timeline of the Bible. And we're going to see that the Bible begins with creation in the book of Genesis. And then we start learning about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their lives and their faith and journey with God. And then we're going to turn our attention to the time of the Exodus. That is the time when the people of God are enslaved in Egypt. And this is where Moses comes to prominence. And this is God rescuing his people from slavery. 
And then we have uh, the time of conquest. This is the time of Joshua and the taking of the promised land. And this is a time of great victory and conquest for the people of God. And then because of their rebellion, because they fall prey to the gods of the kings and kingdoms around them, there's a time of winnowing, if you will, where people do what is right in their own eyes. That's the time of the judges. And then the people start wondering and saying, can we have a king? And they wish for a king like all other kingdoms had, and they wish for King Saul. And then later, the glory days of King David and King Solomon. It is on the heels about 400 years after the reign of King David where we find ourselves in the book of Daniel. Daniel, we find ourselves in what is called the time of the exile. It is about 600 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. 400 years after David, 600 years before Jesus, we find ourselves in a time of exile, a time of captivity. That season, this season of exile, will take 70 years before we have the return that will be the next chapter in God's meta-narrative of Scripture. That's where we find ourselves, and we are told today that this all happened in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Well, who is Jehoiakim? Who is he and what was going on in his day? I want you to know that God had been warning his people for some time that if they did not turn from their evil ways, judgment was coming. Hosea had told them this. Jeremiah had told them this. Isaiah had told them this. And now Daniel was living it. In fact, Isaiah said this in Isaiah 39, 6 and 7. He said, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Do you see the precision You're going to see Daniel 1 lived out, and it's the prophecy of Isaiah years before this takes place. We're going to see that Daniel is going to live out this prophecy with his friends. Now, we are told about King Jehoiakim. King Jehoiakim was an evil king. In 2 Kings 23, we are told the following, that Jehoiakim was 25 years old, not an old man when he becomes king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his predecessors had done. There had been a long line of kings before Jehoiakim, many of which had done evil. Now, Jehoiakim especially was an evil man. He hated God and hated his word. At one point, a scribe was reading the scriptures by happenstance, it seemingly is, in the presence of the king. And the king hears the words that the scribe reads from the Old Testament scriptures and has the scribe killed by sword, has his body thrown into the fire, and then he commands that the parchments and that the scrolls be thrown into the fire as well. Jehoiakim hated God's word and hated the authority of God. And God warned through the prophets 
that he would not stand idly by and allow this to happen, judgment was on its way. And God gave the people of Judah to the nation and king Nebuchadnezzar of the nation of Babylon for 70 years. Now, why in the world would a people 2,600 years later, that's how far we are from where we're at right now to where Daniel is written, 2,600 years separates us. Why in the world would we study this book? Why would we read this book? This book takes place a half a world away. What could we possibly, with all of our technology, with all of our learning, with all of our modernization, what could we learn from this book? There are four lessons I want you to see from this book. First of all, and it's the key lesson, and many things will keep us distracted from seeing this key lesson if we're not careful, and the key lesson is this, God is sovereign. God's sovereign. God is in control. He's in control of nations. He's in control of kings. He's in control of individuals. He's in control of every aspect of our lives. Now we live, listen to me church, we live in what is probably the most anxious and fearful time studies tell us. More of us are fearful and anxious than ever before. The book of Daniel is your life preserver in stormy waters. It is a reminder that no matter what the world and its kingdoms do, that God is able to address everything and he is in control. That he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We can take peace and solace in the fact that we worship and we pursue a God who is in control. Number two, We need to know and recognize that Daniel's life reflects our own existence and it grows with each day that as Christians we become a greater minority within a secular world. And we need to ask the question now as we move and and understand that human history has moved from Christianity being a good thing to being in my generation a neutral thing to now being a bad thing. It's not altogether good for you. Growing up, when I would say I was a Christian, it was received with respect. Well, that's closing out. When you say you're a Christian, you believe in the Bible, people have grown and there's disdain for it. So the question is, how are we to act? How are we to respond? How are we to live life as a spiritual minority in a growing secular world. Well, Daniel's gonna show us some creative ways to be upright and holy in God's eyes and still remain respectable in the eyes of those who disagree with us when it comes to our theology and our belief system and worldview. Number three, the message of Daniel is prophetic in nature. In fact, the last half of the book is going to talk about prophecies that we as a church believe are still yet to come. And so it's altogether relevant because part of this book still says there are things that God hasn't done yet. And so we want to know what is in God's plans, what is in God's purposes, and how should we respond when those events happen whether in our day or in the future that is to come. And finally, just as in the days of Daniel, 
and even in the minds of H.G. Wells in his book, The War of the Worlds. Today, you and I are in the midst of a battle. We're in the midst of a war, a world of, a war of worldviews, a war of kingdoms. Now, what we're going to learn in Daniel is that this war of kingdoms had a, an ancient iteration. We're going to see how it plays out in Daniel's life. But I want to prove to you today that the battle, that war, is going on today just as big, just as bad, just as fiery as it did in the book of Daniel. And some of the same things we see in Daniel, we are seeing today. And here's the thing. The war isn't always at a fever pitch. In fact, what we're going to see is, in a whole bunch today in our text, the kingdom of Babylon. The kingdom of Babylon is a kingdom that has some important significance. In fact, we are told about Babylon in the text. This Babylon of the ancient world was led by King Nebuchadnezzar. And we are told in the text, and if we're not careful, we run right by it, but we are told in verse 1 and 2 that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, came to Jerusalem, he besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim of Judah, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And notice what it says. And he brought them to the land of Shinar. The land of Shinar. Now right away you're like, okay, well that's just some place in Babylon. We really don't care. It'd be kind of like when someone talks about Sugar Grove or Aurora. We run right by it. We really don't even know where that's at. And we really don't care where that's at. The problem is, is the Bible cares all the more about Shinar. And here's the reason why. Shinar has a place in human history that is of great importance. Write down Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, it says the following. Now, the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole earth. What we have in Genesis 11 is the building of the Tower of Babel. Babylon. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the kingdom of Babylon wasn't just alive in Daniel's day. It was alive in the book of Genesis chapter 11 with the building of the Tower of Babel. And it is also recorded in the book of Revelation. The Tower, I'm sorry, the kingdom of Babylon is a kingdom that is opposed against God. It is the kingdom of man. It is the kingdom of evil. It is the kingdom that is empowered by Satan himself. And Daniel runs into the kingdom of Babylon. And brothers and sisters, today we run into the kingdom of Babylon as well. And so Daniel serves as an example of how we are to live while God is in control of things, how we are to live amidst Babylonians, amidst the empire of Babylon as Christians. We're told Daniel was taken to Babylon. That iteration of Babylon was modern day Iraq. 
King Nebuchadnezzar would rule and reign over Babylon for about 40 years. He was known as the biggest and baddest of leaders of his day. The empire of Babylon was uh, the envy of the world. It was the beacon of all human achievement and worship. And Nebuchadnezzar made sure that it was that. When Daniel walked into Nebuchadnezzar, he probably ran into something that looked a lot like what we're going to see. In fact, the hanging gardens of Babylon are on the list of the ancient wonders of the world. The nation of Babylon was a place that people saw that man flourished and thrived. And make no mistake about it, while the ruins of Babylon are in the modern day uh, nation of Iraq, the spirit of Babylon is alive and well here in America. It's alive and well in our world today. It is, as we talked about in the book of Jude, it is alive and well in the influences of the world that creep into the Christian's life, telling us to turn the grace of God into sensuality. The spirit of Babylon is there. So let's read what this young man runs into in the kingdom of Babylon and how we might respond. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths, without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, that's the ethnic group of uh, the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the king of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. If you followed Veggie Tales, we've got Rack, Shack, and Benny. Rack, Shack, and Benny. Now let's stop here. What we have is the kingdom of Babylon moving in on the life of Daniel the faithful. Now what we need to know right away is Daniel's taken from Israel to Babylon. What would that look like? In modern maps, we would see that it's a trip of about 750 miles, about 1,000 kilometers. It's the distance between Sugar Grove and Washington, D.C., Without planes, trains, and automobiles, it would be light years away. There's a good chance that Daniel would never, ever see his homeland or his community ever again. Now, why was he chosen to go? They came from the best homes, him and his friends, nobility and of the royal family. They were the who's who. They were exemplary, Daniel says, without blemish. They were good looking. They were smart. They had wisdom. They had social graces for every scenario, even amongst kings in palaces. And they had ability 
to learn things quickly. If you want a picture of what they look like, Pastor Tim, seventh grade, okay? Creme de la creme, cream of the crop. Now, why do they go this direction, meaning the nation of Babylon? I want you to see that the spirit of Babylon did then what it seeks to do now. I want you to underline a word in your Bibles if you do that, and it's found in verse 4, youths. Youths, young people. There's no mention that they selected people of an older age, wiser, smarter. Why? Because young people are impressionable. Young people can be changed and morphed into anything that a conquering nation would want. They're susceptible to temptation and the cunning schemes of others. Now I want you to notice some things that they do. The kingdom of Babylon in Daniel's day and in our day today, the spirit of Babylon seeks to reorient people. It seeks to reorient people. How are they going to go about doing this? Well, the way they did it before is the way they're going to do it now. Number one, step one to reorienting young people. And I want young people, I want you to hear this because you are on the front lines of this battle. The first thing that the spirit of the devil in Babylon wants to do today is the same thing they did to Daniel. And that's create a distance between mom and dad and kids. To create a distance between mom and dad and what mom and dad have taught and kids. 700 miles separated them. And they knew that if mom and dad were out of the picture, then what they had grown up with, what they had learned, what they had been taught, what they had held dear would be a whole lot easier to start to tear away and chip away if there wasn't an influence at home. Number two, the second thing that they did with these young people is they changed their identities. They changed their identities. Notice in verse six, among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Their identity was in their name. Their name was connected to their tribe. Their tribe was they were the children of God. They were a known tribe. They were a respected tribe. They were a tribe that they knew who they were. Their names told them who they were. Each of their names, and you studied this in your small group lessons, each of their names talked about Jehovah or Yahweh being God, the provider, the caregiver, the powerful one, the one who deserves all worship and praise. Each of their names paid homage to the God of gods, the King of kings. But their names changed. And with it changed their identity because the chief eunuch says, we're going to change your names. And now they are going to be names about a God named Aku, a foreign false God, a counterfeit God, paying homage and respect and worship to this new God, hopefully changing their identity. Brothers and sisters, will we open our eyes and see the spirit of Babylon in my day and and growing up, not too long ago, we didn't talk about identity. We didn't talk about pronouns. 
Now more than ever, names are changing. Did you know that? And did you know that the generation that's changing its name more now than ever are young people? Why? Because their name identifies them. And they no longer want to be identified with the name that they were given. Their name has baggage. Their name connects them with this patriarchal understanding of mom and dad. It's repressive. Mom and dad can't give me my name. I have my own name. Where does that come from? Sadly, my friends, it is the spirit of Babylon. It's the spirit of Babylon. It gets worse. They change their gender. We see in the text, over five times, we'll see this word, eunuch. Eunuch. We have this chief eunuch. A eunuch is one who is a castrated male. And a castrated male was of great service to a king. The king was about to bring foreigners into his palace. And we got their descriptions. Good looking, smart, socially graceful. They were everything. They were the class presidents. They were the student council uh, chair people. They were the valedictorians. They were the ones the girls wanted to date. And the last thing the king wanted was for those guys to create kingdoms of their own. So what do they do? They emasculate them. They take away their ability to reproduce. They take away their desire for sexual uh, activity. They make them androgynous. They misgender them. So they go and they physically mutilate these boys, probably teenagers, so that they can never experience the God-given abilities that God purposed for them to have in marriage, pleasure, and procreation. And you ask the question today, where is all this coming from? All this gender, all this identity stuff, where is it coming from? It is coming and it's hitting our young people more than ever and it's coming from the spirit of Babylon, the same spirit, the same satanic force that was alive and well in Daniel's day is alive and well 2,600 years later. And we need to open our eyes to it and we need to recognize And we need to pray for our young people that they stand up and and understand and know what is coming against them. Number four, the spirit of Babylon and the kingdom of Babylon will tempt you with everything under the sun. So once they took away their sexuality and their gender, now what are they gonna offer? All the best food, all the best delicacies, all of the best wine, They are offered what the king ate, they ate. They had the best of everything. You don't go and stand in front of the king without wearing the best of clothes and and having the best of, of jewelry and all that. They had all that the world could offer and they were tempted in believing that's what it was. They were reoriented, taken from their homes and changed. Number two, they were rewired. They were rewired. Notice in verse 5 it says that these youths were to be educated for three years. Underline that, three years. The Babylonians 
And the spirit of Babylon in the ancient world said it took three years to take a young person and completely reorient and rewire them in three years. That's what it takes. Three years. I can't tell you how many times I've heard a Christian say, I taught for 18 years my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I taught them this book. I told them to follow this way. And they left my house. We sent them to university. And in four years, they came back and they were a completely different person. They're changed. Why? Because the spirit of Babylon needs three or four years to change young people. To make them second guess and rethink what their parents have taught them under the guise of higher education. When we were looking for schools for our oldest, Noah, we would go on these tours in multiple schools and I would tell Amanda, stay on the tour or I'm going to be a troublemaker. I'm leaving the tour. And I would leave the tour because I knew that I, I wanted to know what the kids were like. If we were going to make this investment in our son that we've invested all these years and I wanted to know, what am, who am I handing him off to? And I went around and I asked questions of the students and I would ask this question. Uh, being here now at this school, are you closer to the faith of your parents or farther away? And I will give the students this. They were honest. And of course, these were at Christian universities and you'd be amazed at how many said, I don't buy what my parents are believing. I'm not in agreement. And I got in the car and told Amanda, well, we're not going to invest in that. And so the decisions that we make have ramifications. Why? Because we've got to be careful... The spirit of Babylon is alive and well, and little do we know, as the book of Jude says, it can even infiltrate the church and institutions. It's not just the, the educational world. I don't want to demonize that. I'm not telling you kids shouldn't go to college. Noah's going to school. Josh is going to go to college. These are important things. What I'm telling you is we need to be all the more discerning. By the way, Luke's going to school too. I left him out. He'll go to school too. Okay? <laughs> He's probably watching online right now going, what about me? Hey, hey. Okay. But we need to be discerning. But can I say this? Social media, entertainers, influencers have the spirit of Babylon in them where they seek to reorient and rewire young people and old people alike. Now we have a choice. In verse 8, the text tells us this statement. We either are going to resolve to receive the kingdom of Babylon or reject what that kingdom offers. This is what Daniel's all about. This is what Daniel 1 is all about. There is a kingdom out there that's offering you to live against God. You need to put yourself into Daniel's shoes and ask the questions, will I receive that kingdom or will I reject that kingdom notice what Daniel does in verse 8 but Daniel resolved that is he made a resolution he made a conscious decision that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine now we're not sure why 
But it would seem as if there was something about the food that was being offered to the, uh, from the king to the kids that went against the Mosaic law. Probably the food was defiled because it was being uh, shared with the gods of the pagans. It could be that the food broke the dietary rules and restrictions of the Mosaic covenant. And so Daniel resolves and he says, I can't do it. He resolves, he makes a decision, I am not going to defile my God. I'm not going to defile myself with this. Can I stop and can I pose this question to you in the room and you online, this question. Have you made a resolution in your heart, no matter your age, a resolution, I will not defile myself. I will not defile myself at school. No matter what the popular kids say. I will not defile myself at work. No matter what the boss says. I will not defile myself in my dating relationships. No matter what my boyfriend or girlfriend says. I will not defile my marriage by going after other people. I will not defile myself with my money. I will not defile myself with my spare time. I will not defile myself with what I do with technology and the income or imputing of um, technology and media in my life. I will not, I will not, I will not defile myself. Christian, have you made that declaration in your heart and with your mouth? God is my witness. I will not defile myself. This teenager does. And he makes, I believe, this declaration long before this moment happens. Some of us think, well, I will stand up for God when I have to, but I don't have to right now. But Daniel resolved in his heart long before it, listen, you will never make the hard decisions unless you make the easy ones. Right now it's easy to make that declaration. Now notice, he's not gonna do it with bombast. He's not gonna go to social media and uh, scream bloody murder. Notice what he does. He resolves that he's not going to defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Let then our appearance and the Appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in the matter and he tested them for 10 days. Now let's just stop for a moment and let's do some uh, revelation to bad Bible study. A book not too long ago was written to tell people how to lose weight. It was called the Daniel Fast, and Christians ate it up, no pun intended. That's bad Bible study, okay? 
This diet was called the Daniel Plan, and it, it took over America. Why? Because we're more concerned about our physiques than we are our spirituality. This is not written so that we'll learn how to have a new diet in 2024. What's being done here is a strategy as to how to live an upright and holy life while living in Babylon. And so he finds a way, a strategy that would work. Can we test this for 10 days? And he is able to find favor. Why? Because God gives him favor with his authorities. Could it be that the prayer that you need to pray while living in Babylon is that God would give you favor with those in authority, your boss, your teachers, the people in your community, that you would live such good lives as Daniel and these men did, that the people in authority over them would see them as good things, good people, and be willing to bend the rules, if you will. You see, what Daniel resolved in his heart, and you may want to write this down, what Daniel resolved in his heart is this truth. While we may live in Babylon, while we may live in Babylon, it doesn't mean Babylon needs to live in you. While you and I in this day live in Babylon, Jesus said, you can, you're gonna be in the world, but you don't need to be of the world. We live in Babylon, but Babylon doesn't need to live in us. For 70 years, Daniel is going to deal with this, and he's gonna have to find creative ways to deal with living in Babylon, but Babylon never lives in him. Why? Because he chose not to live in a kingdom of rebellion, but a kingdom of righteousness. And that's what we're called to do. While we live in Babylon, while we live in a world of rebellion, we are called to live righteously. And it begins with a resolution, I will not defile myself. And we've heard a lot about the first kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, it seems to be holding court. And that's our experience in this world. It seems like the spirit of Babylon is alive and well in our world today. But there's another kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And its capital city is heaven. And its king and prince is Jesus. And Daniel says, I want to be a part of that kingdom. And if that means i got to die in this kingdom, if that means i got to suffer in this kingdom, that's okay because there's a kingdom that's being built not with human hands, but is being built by God himself for the people of God. And he's promised that for me. And I'm going to pursue that kingdom. I'm going to run after that kingdom. And notice what we need to know about this kingdom. God's kingdom destroys the kingdom of Babylon. It checkmates the kingdom of Babylon. In verse 2, in verse 9, and in verse 17, we see the phrase, and the Lord gave or God gave. Here is God's sovereign control. It is God who hands over Jehoiakim and the nation of Judah to the people of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. It is God who sovereignly gives Daniel favor and compassion with the authorities. It is God who gives them learning and skill in verse 17. It gives them the standing that they have. God is sovereign. He's in control. He's got this all figured out. And so we can pursue this kingdom of righteousness in this world of rebellion. But understand a couple things. 
You see, we, we tend to believe when we read the book of Daniel that if I follow God, if I pursue God, and we take Daniel chapter one, and we do this equation. I live in a world of disobedience and rebellion. If I stand up for what is right and what is good and what is biblical, then God will take care of me and everything will turn out great in the end. Well, Sunday school may be the right place to hear that, but that's not the complete story because here's why. Living for God in a time of rebellions might put you in some tough spots. Let's face it. What Daniel's a part of, it's a tough spot to be in. He is standing before the king who could kill him. And he's saying to the king, thanks, but no thanks. He's a foreigner. He's a teenager. He's got no army behind him. He's got no attorney with him. He's got nothing. He's in a tough spot. Listen, standing as a Christian in a pagan world will put you in some tough spots. In our small group during our, our, our time of study, we learned about people that have been put in some tough spots. Probably not as difficult as Daniel's, but they've lost friendships. They've lost standing in their community. They've lost job opportunities because of stances of doing what God says is right. Following God may mean suffering. We're going to see in a moment that Daniel is victorious in the end here. But we'd be remiss not to remember what got him there. Daniel had suffered greatly. He was trafficked. He was robbed his childhood. He lost family and friends. He was abused and probably mutilated. He lost everything that he had and held dear. And he could have gotten bitter. And some of you have been following Jesus and, and bad things have happened and suffering has taken place and you have allowed yourself to get bitter. That's not what Daniel does. What we will see throughout these 70 years, 70 years he's gonna live like this. And what we see in Daniel is he doesn't get bitter, he gets better. And what God wants to teach us through Daniel is we can do the same thing, but it's a choice. We have to resolve in our heart that we're gonna follow God in the good times and in the bad. Following God isn't a guarantee of a good life. But here's what God promises, that we can rely on the God who strengthens us. So Daniel took a stand, he relied on God, and what are the results? God showed up verse 15 let's read to the rest of the passage at the end of the 10 days it was seen that they were better in appearance fatter in flesh than all the youths who were who ate at the king's table so the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables as for the four youths god gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom and daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they be brought in the chief of the eunuchs brought them before nebuchadnezzar the king spoke with them among all of them none was like daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And then 
it says this, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Listen to me, friends. When we follow God, this is what we can know. Our lives may not be easy. They may not be pain-free. But I can assure you of this, this is the promise of Almighty God throughout his scripture, is that if we will remain faithful to him, he will never leave us or forsake us. And notice Daniel is still standing after Babylon, after the chief eunuch, after the chief steward, after King Nebuchadnezzar, after the empire of that moment of Babylon is long gone and King Cyrus of the Medes and Persians shows up, God still has Daniel standing. And the Bible says that if we will remain faithful to God, we will stand before God one day and he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will outlive any kingdom, any king of this world. But what does that mean? It means we need to resolve in our hearts. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And I'm going to ask this to be our prayer today. Will you make Jesus your anthem? Will you allow Jesus to be your resolution, your conscious decision? that while living in Babylon, Babylon won't live in you. And the Bible says if we make that decision, that he will live with us, and he'll reside with us, and he'll never leave us or forsake us. And wherever we go and whatever we run into, he'll see us through it. And he will present us one day without blemish or defect with great glory before the throne. And he will usher us into his kingdom, the kingdom that will never end, the kingdom that will go on forever. And that kingdom will begin when he brings all other kingdoms under his feet. That's what God promises those who like Daniel will make Jesus their all in all.